right. So we've been walking through Luke a little bit, and uh, we're in chapter 4. Last week we were uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, 13, I think. And, and so we go from verses 12 and 13 to verse 14 today. But what you need to know about that is that uh, between verse 13 and verse 14 is a year. I know it doesn't seem like that when you're reading it. Uh, but there really actually is, is about a year that passes between verse 13 and verse 14. And actually, you know, we, we talk a lot about the ministry of Jesus taking place over the course, the public ministry over the course of, a, of three years. But in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, all we really hear about or read about are the last two years and not much about the first year. Uh, if it weren't for the Gospel of John, we wouldn't know much about that first year, uh, which was a Maybe, maybe a less public year, but just as powerful. In that first year, we have things like Jesus and Nicodemus happens in the first year. And also um, the, the woman at the well is something that, that occurs in the first year. So those, those are just some interesting things, uh, interesting to me at least. And uh, so maybe hopefully interesting to, to you as well. So we're going to move then uh, into uh, this uh, second year of ministry starting at verses Uh, 14 through 30, and uh, we'll read those from the screen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, He found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak to us today, that you would teach us uh, from your word. 
uh, we believe that there are things that you want to say to us, things that you want to do inside of us today. And so we open our hearts and we invite you to come and to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't want to give the impression that, that Jesus was auditioning for a job that day, but most preachers can make it through the first day uh, without being thrown off a cliff. Uh, things turn pretty quickly uh, in, in this story. Uh, in verses 14 through 30, Jesus is describing his mission. He, he's laying out for the people why he came and, and why God sent him. And his mission is, is both one of word and one of deed. Now, his, his message is love. And the action that motivates him is compassion for the people. So Jesus is in the synagogue. Uh, it's the Sabbath, and that's his tradition. He, he goes because he respects the law and because he has a desire to worship his father. He goes to the synagogue. He's there on the Sabbath to worship. Now, what we know about this service that takes place is that they had to have a minimum of 10 men in order to have the service. So we know that there are at least 10 men present, and the order of service goes something like this. Uh, it, it opens with the congregation reciting from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the, what they call the confession. Uh, and it goes like this. You're very familiar with it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So that's, that's the intro. That's the, the confession that they open the service with. And, and I, I just want to say that if we did that, just that one thing, just, just those few verses from Deuteronomy 6. And I'm not saying if the whole world did it. I'm saying just if those who say that they are followers of Jesus, if we would do this, the world would be different. The world would be vastly different if we thought every day, whether we were sitting down or standing up, whether we were at home or on the road, uh, as we came out of our house and as we returned into our house, when we sat with our children, when we talked with our spouse, if the goodness of God and the holiness of God were on our lips, it would change the world. It would change the world. A, a focused attention on who God is and who he has, in fact, called us to be. And so this, this part of the worship then is, is followed by recited prayers. And so uh, they recite prayers, and then after that, they read from the Torah, uh, the books of the law, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. And, and following that, they read from the prophets. And so on this particular day, uh, the, the prophetic reading is Isaiah. And so Jesus is handed the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah. Now, the reading from the prophets then is followed, and this is kind of how they wrap up this, this service, uh, there is an exposition or, or a sermon, if you will. And so Jesus apparently speaks during the uh, exposition or, or sermon portion. So after he reads from Isaiah, uh, then he 
he gives his message to them. And so his message is both what he read and who he is, because who he is <laughs> is what he read. And so he says uh, his message is addressed to the poor. His message is addressed to the poor. And, and we, we do believe that, that there is a sense in which his message to the poor is addressed at those who are poor in spirit, uh, those that we would call humble. But we cannot miss the absolute fact that his message is addressed to those who are poor economically. Uh, he is speaking to the poor. Definitely includes uh, both those who are living in oppression and economic, an oppressive economic situation and also uh, likely includes those who are, who are poor in spirit or humble. And, and his message is this. Uh, this is a time of release, recovery of sight, and freedom from oppression. This is what he came for. He came to set captives free. He came to bring life where there is death. He came to bring freedom where there is bondage. Now, this is all connected with what is called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was a time of forgiveness. It's a time of debt forgiveness, but it's also a time where slaves are set free. And so Jesus is announcing his coming. He's announcing his mission. He's announcing the purpose for which he came in connection with the year of Jubilee. So the year of Jubilee is a new start through debt forgiveness. The Jubilee of Jesus is a new start through divine forgiveness. So there, there are uh, three things that we want to take as we walk through uh, this, and then we'll, we'll keep going. Number one is uh, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, he reads that Isaiah passage, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he says later on, this pro prophecy is fulfilled right here in front of your eyes. Uh, he's saying to the people, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, the thing that we want to notice about that uh, and, and be very clear about is that here, here is Jesus who is in his public ministry. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is God. He is on the earth uh, to, to live and to die and to be raised again. Uh, he is the hope of the world. And he says, the key to my ministry is that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so who are we, any of us, to think that we could carry on ministry or even life in a, in a meaningful way or in, in a fruitful way if we're not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit? If you are leaning in your job or in your home or especially in your ministry, if you are leaning on your own gifts and talents, you're settling for less than God has offered. Because he has said, I will go with you. I will go in you. I will give you what you need. And Jesus recognizes that. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, the second thing we notice in this is that he is a prophet of a new era. Uh, this is the ushering in of a new covenant and a new kingdom. 
And then the third thing is that he says he will actually fulfill his own prophecy. He says, you're seeing the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, what you need to know about that is that every Jew would know that Isaiah, this passage in Isaiah 61, is messianic. And so every Jew would know if Jesus says, this passage in Isaiah is about me. They know exactly what he's saying. Now, initially, uh, the crowd is, is impressed. They're, 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 it says they marvel at what he says. And, and the thing that probably they were the most impressed with was the authority with which he speaks. We, we see that in several places that people are just blown away that Jesus teaches, but not only does he teach, he teaches with authority and he teaches with an authority that nobody else, none of the other teachers, none of the other rabbis seem to have. And, but then after assessing his words, you know, they start to kind of think about it and they, and they start to realize some things. Now, wait a minute, we know this guy. Uh, they say, well, wait a minute, you know, okay. He speaks with authority, and he's pretty impressive, and he, you know, he has some incredible things to say. He's actually claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and we know for a fact that's Joseph's boy. That's Joseph's boy. We, we know him. He, he's the son of a carpenter. And so Jesus then, in response to that, he, he cites a proverb to them, and, and the proverb is, uh, prophet, heal yourself. What, what does that mean? What, what it means is do your stuff. Do your stuff. Show us who you are. Prove to us. You say this is you. You say this prophecy is fulfilled today in our hearing. Prove it. Prove it by doing something. Second thing we know is that uh, Jesus says that a prophet is without honor at home. And to, to confirm that or, or back that up, substantiate it, he refers back uh, to some Old Testament prophets and then, and, and this is the thing, really, that got him taken to the cliff. He, he turns on, he zeroes in on the people. And it's not just the people that are there. He, he zeroes in on the nation of Israel altogether. And he says, you know, Elijah, he, he refers to the, the era of time where Elijah and Elisha uh, were ministering on the earth. And, he, and it was known, it was the worst, if not the worst, one of the worst times in Israel's history. One of the most evil times. This is, this is uh, Ahab and Jezebel time. This, this is not a good time. This is not, you know, you don't want to point to this period of time if you're promoting uh, Judaism. It, it was a hard time. There was a famine. There, there, it didn't rain for three years. It, it's, it's a horrible time. And Jesus alludes to that time and he reminds the people that during that time, the prophets didn't do much. They weren't able to do much in, in the nation of Israel. But he says they did heal a couple of Gentiles. <laughs> Guys, this is not going to go over well. This, this is not going to go over very well at all. This is like saying, you know, at a, at a University of Georgia football banquet, we don't have anybody really worthy of a trophy this year, but we got a couple of Gators. <laughs> That's exactly, I mean, it's, it's not going anywhere good. This, this is not a, not a good thing. And so what Jesus is actually doing is he is comparing Israel's lowest spiritual 
period in history to these people. And he's suggesting that the Gentiles, who they hate, are more deserving, more worthy of ministry than they are. And it doesn't sit well. And so they decide at this point, well, he must be a false prophet, and so we're going to kill him. But we know they're not able because it's not his time, and he just walks away. Now, let's make some application. Uh, the first application that I want to make is that his message is our message. His message is our message, and his message was good news to the poor. Economically poor, poor in spirit, humility, uh, all of those things. That, that's our message as well. Um, if, if your desire, if the desire in your life is to be known, to be seen, to be recognized, to be celebrated, you may have missed the point. You may have missed the point because Jesus came for the humble. Jesus actually humbled himself and came in the, in the lowest way. And he calls us to serve in a way that looks like that, not in a way that is seeking after fame and status and recognition. He comes to bring freedom to prisoners those in sin and those in shame, as well as those who are imprisoned uh, politically or, or religiously. Jubilee was not just a time, as we said before, of debt release, but Jubilee was a time where Hebrew slaves and prisoners were freed and their debts were forgiven. It was as fresh a start, as new a start as you could give. And that's what Jesus is, is connecting to and uh, communicating to these people. Uh, recovery of sight is another thing that, that he talks about. Recovery of sight to the blind. We know if you read through the Gospels, all of the Gospel accounts, I think, I think you can probably find at least five stories where Jesus heals blind people. And he could have healed countless others because there are so many places where it says he healed all the sick. And so we don't know really, I'm not going to say he only healed five, but we know he healed at least five blind people. And countless others were healed of spiritual blindness. Uh, Matthew 6, 22 through 24 says, uh, your eyes take in light and send it out. Uh, what you focus on, what you focus on, will either give order to your life or take it away. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus says your eyes take in light and send out light. In other words, your eyes receive and give. They receive and give. And so what you focus on, what you choose to focus your attention on, will either bring order to your life or it will take it away. And you get to choose. You get to choose what you focus on. And it doesn't matter where you are. It matters what you do. 
And it doesn't matter what happens to you. It matters how you react to it, how you respond. And it doesn't matter who you know. It matters how you love. And so Jesus is saying, be one who receives light and gives light. And he's insinuating that what you focus on will go a long way toward determining that. And then he talks about the year of the Lord's favor uh, where the mercies of God are particularly manifest. Uh, Billy Graham called the year of the Lord's favor is a really long year and it's still going on. He says it started at the first coming of Jesus and will return until Jesus comes back again. That's the year of the Lord's favor. So where the Bible says that a year is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. Um, we're in the year of the Lord's favor. What does it mean to be in the year of the Lord's favor? It means that we're living in a time where it is possible to repent and believe. Now, here's the implication of that. And, and this is really, 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 really important. We are living in a time where it is possible to repent and believe. The implication is there will be a time when it is no longer possible. That should wake you up. That's a big deal. We're living in a time where it is possible to repent and believe. The favor of God is present to receive forgiveness. Now, a second application. So all of that was his message is our message in case you got lost. Uh, the second point is that people judge Jesus by his appearance and his association. And they will, they will do that for you as well. They will, they will offer you that same blessing of being judged by appearance and association. You know, they, they listen to him and they're impressed and then they think, wait a minute. That's Joseph's boy. And they're not as impressed anymore. Uh, he's Joseph's son. He's, he's, he's the carpenter's son. He's the son of a carpenter, not a king. He's from Nazareth. Surely the Messiah will come from heaven. Is this really the kind of person that God would send? And, and not a lot has changed in that regard. You will often be judged by the appearance, by your appearance and by your association. And what I want to say to you is I don't even really want to, to dwell on that. It's just going to happen. What I want to dwell on is don't do it. Okay? Just accept the fact that it's going to happen to you, but don't do it to others. Don't be offended by the package that God uses. You will miss so much if you are offended by the package that God uses. God often surprises us in the way that he works and, and with who he uses. Elijah and Elisha would have been shocked to know uh, that a 
Gentile widow and a Syrian leper would be the focus of their ministry that we would talk about forever. <laughs> now, kind of a side note to this as well. Um, you know, because they're, they're associating Jesus with what's familiar to them, and that kind of takes some of the wonder away. And, and I would say that also sometimes for us, the most difficult people to reach with the gospel are the people that we're closest to. Yeah, maybe family, family members, and, and close friends are sometimes the most difficult to reach. They know too much. They know too much. I, you know, I have, I have a bunch of brothers and sisters. I have three brothers and two sisters. And when I first shared the gospel with my brother John, he just shook his head and looked at me and said, you're absolutely stark raving mad. So there's no way. You think I'm going to give my life to that? I know you. I've lived with you my whole life. He actually said, you've ruined my life. And you know what? Up until that point, he was right. I had. But that very night, I had given my life to Christ. And so he really didn't have, you know, a period of time to see if this was going to take. And so he just said, no, thank you. No, thank you. And so sometimes, you know, God moves in our life and we get excited and we're so zealous and we want to run to our family. We want to just gather the whole family and we want them all to be saved that day because we were. And I would say live before them. Talk to God about them before you talk to them about God. Uh, give it some time. So then the third thing, and this, this is of great importance, there are consequences connected to a person's response to Jesus. Jesus brought a message, and the people had a choice of how they would respond to it. Choose rightly and be blessed. Choose wrongly and you forfeit that blessing. And the thing for us to recognize and know is that God is real. God is real. Jesus is alive. The spirit of the living God is actually in this room. Present here among us. And how we choose to respond to him matters. If you choose to ignore him, you forfeit blessing. If you choose to reject him, you forfeit blessing. If you choose to say yes to him, your life can be radically, completely, and forever changed. A yes to Jesus is overwhelmingly positive in the results that it produces. And no to Jesus is overwhelmingly negative in the results that it brings. And so then finally, uh, I want to say that, that teaching is central to the ministry of Jesus. Uh, 
Teaching is, is central to the ministry of Jesus, and so it is to ours. And therefore, training is of great importance. The Bible says that we should study to show ourselves approved. And it is essential that you be taught in order to become one who can teach. So Paul taught Timothy, and Moses taught Joshua, Jesus taught the disciples. I, I was incredibly blessed early. When I was led to the Lord at, at the age of 18, shortly thereafter I was hired uh, by my senior pastor who led me to Christ. His name is Alton Paris. He's 96 years old. And uh, I, when, I, when I came to the Lord, he was in his 50s, 55. He's still to this day is the best, without a doubt, best preacher I've ever heard. Uh, and he taught me. He spent time with me. He, he, he uh, poured into my life. And, and I, I left from there, went off to seminary, and, and during my seminary years, I, I had a chance to sit uh, under the preaching of Dr. Robert Osmond, who was pastor at First Methodist Church Atlanta, where I worked during, during seminary. And he was an incredible orator. He was such a good preacher that, that he was invited to come and speak at, at everything that moved. Any, any kind of gathering, you know, Rotary Club or, you know, it didn't matter. People just, they just loved to hear him talk. He was a great preacher and an incredible orator. And uh, so I had a chance to learn from him. And then, of course, many of you know, I, I worked for six years with Charles Sineth. And boy, that was good news. Good news, good news. Um, you know, working with Charles Sineth and just being able to just hear him preach, not once, not twice, but three times every Sunday, uh, that, that'll get in you. It just changes you. And so I, I've had a chance uh, to work under some really gifted men. I've had a chance to work uh, under uh, or alongside people like Martin Icewander and, and Scott McDermott. Many of you know Scott. And uh, I've just been incredibly blessed, and, and not many people have had the opportunity to sit under and walk with uh, the kind of people that God has, has surrounded me with during my lifetime. And so I'm very grateful for that. But I also want, wanted to say today uh, to you, as a congregation, uh, because I really believe that, that, that study and, and training and being equipped is important. And, and I want to be uh, as good a teacher as I can be. And I want, I want to thank you guys for allowing me to continue to learn. Um, I'm almost finished with school. I'm 61 years old. I'm, I'm almost finished with school. Uh, I turned in the last chapter of my dissertation last week. And, uh, and got the approval uh, yesterday, actually. And um, I, yeah, you don't, don't clap too much because I still have a couple of things. <laughs> I haven't graduated yet. Uh, I still have a couple of things to do. But, but, you know, being here, pastoring this church, and, and knowing that you guys were praying for me and pulling for me and that you actually allowed me to do this while I was actually, you know, trying to pastor this church. It, it was a big deal, and it, and it probably took some things away from you. But my prayer is that in the long run, it will give some things back to you. So thank you for, for allowing me to do that. Okay. So we're going to go now into a time of ministry. I'm going to invite our teams to come. And uh, we're going to stay here for a little bit. We're not going to get too anxious about the clock. And... Uh,
so the, the overall message of the day is, is how do you want to respond to Jesus? Um, Jesus stands up and, and addresses the group and says, hey, what we've just read is me. And he's saying that to you today. What you've just heard about is me. And I'm here. And I'm available. And so, you know, you, you, you have three choices. You can ignore him. Or you can maybe try to push him off a cliff. That's not going to work, I'll just tell you. <laughs> or you can turn to him and say, I want what you have. I want what you have. I don't even know fully what it is, but I want what you have. And so what we want to do today is, is give you some time. If, if that is the desire of your heart, if, if you believe that if there are things that Jesus has that you need, then we want to encourage you to come. And, and these guys, these beautiful people up here would love a chance to pray with you and pray for you. Okay, so won't you stand? And uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll just go back into a time of worship, and you can come and receive prayer. Holy Spirit, we love the way you work, and we invite you to simply have your way here. There are things that you want to do, and we don't want to resist. We don't want to hinder in any way. We, we say yes to your coming, and we say yes to you doing whatever it is that you want to do today to honor and glorify the Father. In Jesus' name.